Well, good evening. It's good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight continues our one word series. And tonight's word is worship. And uh, that song, that brings back a lot of memories. At Science Hill, we had a unique way of singing that song. And the way that we would do it is we would start with the second verse. And we would do this, of course, to prepare minds for the Lord's Supper. And so we would do the second verse, and we would stop. And we would have the men, they would serve the bread, pass it to everyone. And as they were coming back down the aisle, we would sing the third verse. And they would pass the cup. And then at the very end, as they were coming back down the aisle, we would sing the first verse, which was about the offering. And uh, then we would have the contribution. And uh, that's the only song that we ever did anything different to. And I've never seen a congregation that did that anywhere else. It was just the way that we did it. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who originated it, but that was the way that we did it since the time I was born. So, uh, but anyway, I remember that. And every time we sing that song, I think of, of how we used to, to do the Lord's Supper that way. And it was a very unique way of doing it. But anyway, to our lesson, worship. Last week we talked about fellowship, and so tonight we get into the word worship. We've already done a, a series, actually last December, I believe it was, maybe November, end of December, we did a, a series of lessons on worship, and um, I, I believe we, we carried it on for two months, but anyway, we did a, an in-depth study of what worship is. This is kind of going to go back to the basics of what worship is. But worship is one of the most meaningful and important aspects of the Christian life. Worship is a way of coming into the presence of God, expressing our love and adoration of Him. Worship allows us the opportunity to talk to God, to express our innermost desires to Him. Worship is given to us as a means of bringing glory and honor to Almighty God while simultaneously edifying and building up the faith of our fellow brethren. The purpose of worship we see is twofold. First of all, to honor God, Christ, and the Spirit. Uh, a lot of the songs that we sing express that desire to bring glory and honor to them. As a matter of fact, there's one song, uh, Glorify Your Name, as the way it is in our book. Um, that has a, a verse for each, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so we desire to bring glory and honor to God. And it's also to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's something that we also see as, as an important aspect of worship. We build each other up just in being in close proximity with one another, uh, being in fellowship with, with other Christians is a wonderful uh, blessing that we have. And it's something not to be overlooked. Our lesson focus for tonight is, again, on the basics of worship. And we're going to look at it from a who, what, where, when, why type deal. What is worship? And who are we to worship? Where and how do we worship? Why do we worship? Those are questions that we need to answer uh, what should be our motivation for worship? And so we'll look at, at each of those individually. Our lesson objectives for tonight are, first of all, to learn how Scripture defines worship. 
It's important that we understand how worship is defined in the Bible. Not how it is defined by Webster's Dictionary, because you'll get a different type of answer probably. Uh, not how it is defined by friends or family members. Uh, there are a lot of different ideas of what worship really is in the world. There are a lot of people that worship, and they believe that they're worshiping in a way that pleases God, and they're really not. We know that there are different types of worship as far as Scripture is concerned. We can worship in vain. We know that there is such thing as will worship, and those types of worship are, are not pleasing to God. And so we need to be very careful of the type of worship that we offer and make sure that when we worship, we are worshiping as it is given in the Bible. And secondly, our, our lesson objective is to apply our knowledge of worship to our own worship of God. To worship in a way and manner that is well-pleasing unto Him. We begin at the very beginning. What is worship? And who are we worshiping? Worship is defined in two different ways. If you just look at a, a standard dictionary, it is defined in the noun form as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. And in verb form, it is, it is defined as a show of reverence and adoration for a deity. Honor with religious rites. And of course that last part, again, that's something that, that applies more to uh, the worldly definition than to us. If I were to define worship in my own words, I would define it as, first of all, worship is when heart and mind are solely focused on the one we are worshiping, God. Are we completely focused on God when we worship? I thought it was very interesting um, in some of our classes in the school of preaching. Uh, one of the preachers was mentioning how sometimes uh, he has difficulty in the way that they, they do their worship service. They do the Lord's Supper first. And he said uh, one of the, the biggest distractions to him was to not be focusing on what he was supposed to say in his lesson during the Lord's Supper. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, we should have a, a focus on what we're doing. And certainly he had the desire to focus, but, but sometimes he found difficulty. Uh, sometimes we, we find our difficulty more in, in thinking of, of what's coming after the worship service. But we need to focus our minds and hearts on God. And it's something that we do more than, than just when we come in the door, you know, it's more than just coming in and sitting down, waiting for the worship service to start. It's something that should start before that. Maybe even the day before that. Maybe on Saturday night. Maybe we should, should start focusing our minds on what we're doing. For me, I spend most of that time preparing my lessons and going over them and making sure that I've got everything in line the way that I want it. But it's something that we need to prepare ourselves to do. If we're going to do our best job, if we're going to go to work and do the best job that we can, it's something that we have to prepare ourselves for. 
And sometimes going into the classroom or even going into sports time, sometimes I have to mentally prepare myself for what is ahead. Uh, there are certain challenges sometimes that I know I'm getting ready to face. And so I, I prepare myself ahead of time knowing this is coming. I've got to be ready for it. And there's just something about preparing my mind and, and my being for what is ahead. And it's the same way with worship. We need to prepare ourselves for what is ahead. Another way that I would define worship. When all of our senses are brought into a state of deep contrition and we feel compelled to express our love and gratitude to God for all He has done for us. Contrition is a word that we don't use very often, but, but mostly it's, it's an idea of, of being sorry for, for how we have lived, maybe a penitent type attitude, but we feel compelled to express to God our love and gratitude to Him for who He is, for all that He has done for us in light of who we are in the world. Uh, sometimes we do make mistakes and sometimes we do fall short. And this is a time that we can, can bring those cares and those troubles to God and allow Him to, to help us with those. It, it is a time when we devote all of self to the purpose at hand. To glorify and honor God. Also uplifting the souls of those we worship with. But our primary purpose is to worship and honor God. And we devote our entire being to that. And again, that's sometimes difficult. Especially when we come into the worship assembly. It's hard to forget about everything that we got to worry about. It's hard to to focus on what we're doing, especially if you have children that you're looking after or something like that. It's hard. But it is something that we need to, to try our best to do. We are here to devote our entire being to God. Maybe just for an, an hour or two. I know we have different things that, that we do in life, but it's good to have that time we forget about everything else in the world. And we focus on God. Ruth and I have kind of that mentality on our date nights. We, we kind of put aside everything that, that we have going on in, in the world around us. Everything that, that might be bothering us. We don't talk about work. We, we put aside our phones. We, we just focus for that, that time on one another. We talk to one another. And, it, and that's the kind of idea that we need to have toward God. That we're devoting all of ourself, all of our being, to being in His presence. And that's worship. Now defining what worship is, I, I think we've done also a, a fairly good job of defining who we are worshiping and that being God. But another question that comes about is what exactly is worship? In regard to life, what exactly is worship? And in particularly, there's a concept of worship that I disagree with, and I'll tell you why. But there's a question that, that a lot of people ask, is life worship? And I don't believe that to be the case. So as we look at the rest of these verses, uh, 
keep that in mind. But there are many who believe and teach that all of life is worship. And there are even some translations that seem to allude to or maybe even stand in, in at least somewhat agreement with this belief. And most of it comes from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And I'll look at some different versions here and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of discuss uh, how they apply. Romans 12.1. The first one is from the English Standard Version. And I'm going to go through five different ones so you'll, you'll get a good concept, a good grasp of this verse, maybe. But in the ESV it is quoted this way. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Same verse, this time from the NIV. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This time from the New American Standard. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now you'll notice that each of those versions in that verse with the word worship. All of these seem to express the idea that as we offer our lives as living sacrifice, we are in essence worshiping God with our lives. And to some degree, maybe that, that, that might be true, we are honoring God, but, but is it really something that we would define as worship? Same verse, this time from the American Standard. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Different word there, this time service. And the King James and the New King James are very, very close so I'll just quote the New King James here. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we went through this verse in one of our classes not too long ago uh, when we were discussing Romans. And we kind of came to the conclusion that, that maybe the best translation here was reasonable service. And I would agree with that. It is reasonable for us to serve God with our entire being. Um, and all of life is a service to Him. In offering our lives to God, we are offering our bodies to Him for His service. That by our actions, we are glorifying God in the way we live. Offering to Him lives of service to only Him. Though our lives become a sort of sacrifice, it is not the same as directing our minds and hearts for a time to honoring the God we serve. I had a, a brother, I remember him, him mentioning um, this, this kind of idea. He said, you know, I may be just walking along and I may just start singing, I'll fly away and, and just be bopping along singing that song, but am I really paying attention to the word? Am I really paying attention to what I'm doing or am I just singing the song in my head? And I, I sing a lot. 
in that way, believe it or not. Um, there are a lot of times where I'll sing a lot of church songs, but am I really focusing on what I'm singing? And most of the time, maybe I'm not. Can I really call that worship? You know, there are times when our minds and hearts are focused on God, but there are times when, when even though we may have the mentality of serving Him and offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, where maybe we're not fully devoted to Him. And it's the same way with prayer. Uh, we're told to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we go along uh, mumbling a prayer everywhere we go. But we have a prayerful mindset. And that's what God's talking about. And I think that's the same way with worship. There's a time when we worship, but not all of life is worship. There are times when maybe we're not fully focused on Him. And that kind of thing would not be called worship for that reason. Many use the life is worship concept to say that assembling with the saints is not necessary. And that's one of the greatest dangers of uh, this idea. The idea is that if my life is an offering to God, I please Him by living the way He wants me to. So it doesn't matter whether I assemble with the saints or, or whether I go fishing or whatever on Sunday. It doesn't matter because God is, is pleased with my life. But there's a problem with that belief. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Another word for forsaking would be abandoning. Not abandoning the worship. And that was what the, the Hebrews were in in danger of abandoning worship altogether, abandoning, abandoning the, the assembling of the saints. And that's what they were warned not to do. This thought process shows a, a lack of consideration for the edification of the brethren. Again, one of our purposes in worship is to build up those that we worship with while glorifying God. And the Hebrews were told not to forsake. Not to abandon completely the assembling of the saints. So, I don't agree with the worship is life concept. Because I don't, I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. I don't believe that that's what God is pleased with. We should have times where we completely devote ourselves to serving God. We give Him our full attention. We prepare ourselves to do that. Worship, however, is also not confined to the hours within the assembly of God's people. We worship God in song, prayer, as these are expressions of our inner feelings toward God. And these are done without the assembly as well as within it. Now, we can sing songs. I, I do believe that, that maybe we can worship outside of, of these walls, outside of this group of people. There are times when we can devote ourselves to God in prayer, 
and song. Uh, those are both good ways of doing that. Setting aside a time of day to offer these to God, though it does not edify the brethren, does bring glory and honor to the name of God as an act of service to Him, while also building up our souls. And, and I would certainly encourage you, choose a time of day that you can devote yourself to God, that you can give Him your attention. Even if it's only for 20 to 30 minutes, I know we have busy lives, but try to devote some time to God within your day every day. And your life will be benefited because of it. I do believe that. So, even though I don't believe that worship is life, I do believe that there are times in life that we can devote to God and those could be considered worship. Another question to ask is where and how do we worship? Turn to John 4. And I'm going to, this is a little lengthy, but I'm going to use this whole passage here to bring up a point. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 26. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman was a bit perplexed here in verse 11. She said to him, Sir, you, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. It is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. A concern of both the Jews and the Samaritans was, where is the proper place of worship? Is it Jerusalem? Is it Samaria? And this question goes back to the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the divided kingdom. The seat or capital of the tribes of Israel was Samaria. But the temple was in Jerusalem, within the borders of Judah. Jeroboam gave the people of Israel places to worship within their own territory so that they would not be tempted to return to Jerusalem and, as he feared, rededicate themselves to the kingdom of Rehoboam. He feared that if they went to worship in Jerusalem that they'd stay there and uh, again serve Rehoboam. And since that time, the question remained, where do we worship? Even up to the point of of what we're reading with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Here's her question. Where is the proper place to worship? Jesus' answer to the Samaritan woman's question was that there was coming a time when the location would not matter as much as how the worship was done. And that's what he alluded to in verses 21 through 24. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter where you worship, but the worship needs to be done in spirit and truth. And even today, our worship is to be done in this manner. Worship is not physical so much as spiritual from within. Now we do physically come here to worship God. We assemble with the saints for the purpose of worship, but worship is not a a physical thing. God is not physical in nature. God is spiritual in nature. God is spirit. And so the worship that we offer Him is not physical in nature. It is spiritual in nature. And that's what we have to focus on. Look at Ephesians 5.19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? In your heart to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14 and, fi- or 14 and verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. You see, we have to understand that what God desires is not what we do physically. But it's what comes from the heart. Our worship coming from the heart. Going to Him. That's what He is pleased with. True worship comes from within the spirit of man. And so worship is worship when done in spirit and truth. 
True worship is accomplished through the five scriptural acts given by the authority of God. The Lord's Supper and our giving of a monetary contribution back to the service of the Lord are both acts done only in the assembly and only on the first day of each week. Though we read of the establishment of the Lord's Supper elsewhere, we read of its observance by the New Testament church. And that's what I wanted to focus on. Acts 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Notice that on the first day of the week, is when they were gathering for the purpose of breaking bread together, partaking of the Lord's Supper. Giving, though this writing is purpose for the Corinthian brethren, so it was commanded to others, and so it is commanded to us as the church of today also. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Kirk had a good lesson at the nursing home today on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And there's a pattern that is set here. And that was one of the things that, that he mentioned. A pattern of, of meeting on the Lord's Day. And here specifically... We talk of the Lord's Supper. We read of, of giving and how those things are to be done within the service of the church. Acts 20 and verse 7 also mentions the preaching done within the first day of the week assembly. And we also have the example of Peter in the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2. As we've already addressed, singing and prayer are provided as worshipful expressions of our inward feelings toward God. These may be done outside of the Lord's Day assembly. In other periods of assembly throughout the week, we think of Bible classes. Maybe it's a, a gospel meeting or maybe even a Friday night singing. We gather and, and we include singing and prayer whenever we do those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good, good way for us to worship God. And most of these also include a lesson of some sort and follow the command of 1 Corinthians 14. and verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. That's the type of worship that God is pleased with. To add to the acts that we are given authority for in the worship assembly is to go beyond the authority of God's word. And that's something that we cannot do. We are given authority for singing and prayer, preaching, partaking of the Lord's Supper and giving. But anything else that is added to the worship and anything that is taken away, that would be wrong for us to do. But why? We've looked at, at the how and the when and the who and and the what and all that. We've looked at those things as far as worship is concerned. But why? 
Why do we worship? First of all, we worship because God desires that we worship Him. We know that God is worthy of worship, of glory, honor, and praise. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him also, lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne day. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He alone is worthy of such worship. Look at what is said in the establishment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 2. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Worship of anyone or anything other than God would also be sinful. Worship reminds us of our Creator. The reason for our worship in the first place. We wouldn't be worshiping today if God hadn't given life to man. And given life to us. God wants us to recognize Him as the one true God. And the only one worthy of such service. I'll give you one more reason why we worship God. Because we want to worship God. Or at least I hope that we want to worship God. Realizing who He is, we should desire to worship Him according to His wishes. He is worthy of our worship. I want to read to you the words of Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked He turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. 
God has created us. He has loved us. He has offered us salvation. He offers us eternal life. What more reason could we have to desire to worship Him? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Revelation 19.1 After these things I heard a, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And this gives us reason to worship Him. We also understand that we are given freedom. God gives us the freedom to make our own decisions about whether or not to serve Him. He doesn't force us to do things. A lot of times when Ever we, especially if you look back on your life, have you ever been forced to do something by your parents and then when you got older and didn't have to do it, you refused to do it? Now God doesn't force us to serve Him. He doesn't force us to love Him. He wants us to. But He doesn't force us. He gives the freedom to choose. If we are to worship Him as He desires, we must choose to do so. Otherwise, our worship is done in vain. It doesn't matter if we assemble with the saints on the Lord's Day or any other time. If our heart is not in serving Him, if we're here for some other reason than to bring glory and honor to His name, our worship is in vain. Our heart is far from Him. He warned the, the Pharisees and the scribes of that in Matthew 15. David, even in a, a, a deep place in his life, after realizing his sin and realizing that his child had died, in 2 Samuel 12, what does it tell us that he did? He went and worshipped God. He desired to worship God. Being in God's presence is a wonderful blessing. We should see it as a blessing. We should choose to serve Him for that reason. Are you here because you have to be or because you want to be? Maybe that's a silly question for a Sunday night group, but do you desire to worship God as He desires that you worship Him? Are you a, a Christian? Have you been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sin? Are you living a faithful life? Or are you living in His presence on a daily basis? Are you serving Him? Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice to Him? As He wants you to. Or have you wandered away do you need to return? If your heart is not right with God, if there is something amiss in your life, something that needs to be corrected, if there is some way that we can help you tonight, we give you that opportunity. As together we stand and as we stand.